You're listening to Childhood Remastered. This week, we'd like to thank April with a Y from Nevada and Jimmy from Denver for following us on Facebook. If you'd like to hear your name on our next episode, just like or follow any of our social media, which you can find at childhoodremastered.com. This week, we also want to thank everyone over the podcast we listen to Facebook group, again, for being such a great podcasting community still. And we'd also like to thank Carrie from the Books on the Wild podcast for being an awesome member of the podcasting community too. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back on the cartoons and TV shows and movies of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to be talking about a movie that both uh, Chris and I watched when we were younger. I'm sure a lot of you watched this when you were younger, and that movie is... The NeverEnding Story. One of the best intros. I love music for this movie. I don't care. I love it so much. Yeah. This, that, well, I mean, it was, well, before we get into that, what are we drinking today? Because I'm actually drinking today. Um, I am drinking, uh, I'm still polishing off my Johnny Walker Black because I have a big giant bottle of it and it's less calories than beer. <laughs> and uh, I decided, I decided to save some of my scotch and I am stealing some of Sean's fiance's tequila, because I like me some tequila. You're welcome to it. She never drinks it. <laughs> Perfect. I will drink it all. There's yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. So this movie is this movie is awesome. Uh, this movie is is a movie that God, I so, have such fond memories of when I was a kid. Let yeah. Let's let's discuss. Well, just let's just mention what it is and when it came out, and then I want to hear what your thoughts are. So it, it came out in '84 in West Germany originally. Remember, and, this is before the wall fell. Yeah, so that's that's when there was a West Germany. And then it came out in the U.S. about two months later. And it's a weird movie because it was, it was produced in Germany, but all the actors spoke English. The movie was, it wasn't like a movie that was made in German that was dubbed over into English. It was a movie that was like produced in English and the actors all spoke English. There was a couple people that got dubbed, I think. Because Some of the scenes were filmed in Vancouver, yeah. somewhere on a soundstage in Germany. But it's just such a weird thing that the yeah. movie the movie had its origins in Germany, but it was an but it was all English. Yeah. It, when it came out in 1984, it was the most expensive film production outside of the United States or the Soviet Union. It, it had a budget of 27 million dollars at the time, which I I calculated for us at 65 million. In today's dollars. And it had a worldwide box office take at the time of about $100 million with a profit in today's dollars of about $241.2 million. And so that's not too shabby for a movie even today with such a small budget. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, and the movie was based off of a uh, German book that was written by a man named... Michael Endy. Michael Endy. And I was trying to look up the German name for The NeverEnding Story, but I can't. Because we fail. It's no, fine. There it is. Der Unendlich Geschichte. I, I cannot speak German to save my life. It's fine. Der Unendlich our listeners in Germany will probably laugh at us, and I'm that's sorry. okay. I'm sorry, Germany. That's all right. I'm so sorry. Yeah, we have a few of you over there in Germany, which was weird for us to f- discover. But yeah, yeah. But that song go- that that title doesn't sound as good in a in a song. The Never Ending Story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Die well, the world. So, yeah. No, 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 no. So yeah, so so tell me really before we get further in what. What do you remember? What what did you think of this before we recorded? So I remember this movie as being very, like, and honestly, while I watched it, it sort of reinforced this for me. But this movie, to me, is in the same vein as Goonies. Like, it was one of those epic, where whereas Goonies is a movie, and we should probably do Goonies at some point. Goonies is a movie that is sort of more based in reality, but it's like this epic, reality-based adventure movie for kids. Where kids participate in the adventure. The never ending it's like a large expansive world. Yeah. So the never ending story is in the same vein for me, or was in the same vein, except it was a fan a fantasy world. Yes. So it was it was a large scale children's fantasy epic. And it I I liked it because they had there was lots of fantastical characters, like the 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 character models that they used, the the puppets and the uh, the practical effects, because there are a lot of practical effects in this movie, are just. I remember a lot of that. I remember Falcor, of course. Who doesn't remember Falcor, um, the the luck dragon, and uh, just how it it seemed. The movie seemed so like amazingly epic to me. It's just it was it was one of those things where you know when you see a kid in a movie and this happens literally in this movie two times between the characters of Atreyu and Bastion that you see a kid in a movie like throw his fist up in the air and go, Yeah Woo And like, as an adult you it feels cheesy. But as a kid you're like, Yeah And you yeah, did it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that's that's how it that's how the movie as a kid made me feel where I was just like everything in the movie was just so epic and so awesome and so exciting and i just like it it made you want to be part of that world yeah no i i could definitely understand that i feel almost exactly the same way i watched this movie a lot i don't even know you said you you said you ruined a couple tapes right i did i think more (laughs) than one tape of this got ruined because i watched it so much i love this movie so much and 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 I have memories of watching this movie as a really little kid because it came out when I was a year old. So yeah. so we were watching it. It had already been out for several years on VHS by the time you and I were yeah, old enough. We, so we, we definitely were, didn't see it in the theater. This was something we watched at home a lot. A lot. I definitely watched this a lot. And my my kid. So I'll just I'll just say like what her thoughts were kind of right up front. She really liked this movie and. And all of those woohoo moments that you talked about, she did the same thing. She's like, yeah! yeah. I can just imagine Cheering. her dancing around. Yeah, dancing. Yeah, no, she did. She she was jumping on the couch and dancing. I had to get her to calm down <laughs> so that she could sit down and pay more attention to the movie. Because I, I like to ask her questions. <laughs> sweetie, sweetie, calm down. We need some uh, we need some insight from you later, so pay attention. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exa- exactly. 
that's that's what I did on Turtles. I actually had to corral her because she loved the Turtles so much, and she'd get up and dance to the music, and and I had to tell her, you know, go sit down. I I need you to watch. I want to hear what you think about it. And every once in a while, I'd I'd pause the movie and had and I'd ask her. So those sound clips that we got of her talking, that. Those came from me pausing the movie, asking her thoughts in the moment. Mm. And not I didn't wait until the end. I'd ask her right when she was jazzed and enjoying it to try and figure out what she had to say about it. And I, I forgot to do that for this because, honestly, I was enjoying it too much. So <laughs> so I, I definitely remember at one point our VHS copy got destroyed. And then we went to the local video store that my family would go to. And we rented never ending story until my parents were willing to buy us another one. <laughs> oh, after so many rentals it's like oh, i could have like we're losing money at this point yeah it definitely feels like a big epic kind of journey for kids mm-hmm. and for adults maybe also but i found that well it helps that the principles in the in both the story and the movie are children yes and i think that as you're watching it, either as a kid or as an adult, part of you has these thoughts where you wonder, what else is out there? Yeah. This world feels huge. I want to know more. I want to see more of the Rockbiters. I want to see the Rockbiter Society. I want to know about the Greenskins. Uh, and I want to know about, you know, all of these different people and places and characters and things that they just barely mention. And, and they... They give you a taste. Yeah, and this is and one it, of those. This is one of those uh, movies where if you were super interested in it, it would make you want to go read the book. Yes, and then once you read the book, you would have wanted there to be more books, mm-hmm. and there aren't. There's Spoiler. only one. Yeah, there's only one, which sucks. So but... speaking of the book, uh, Michael Ende, he was the uh, he was the author of uh, the uh, Neverending Story. He was born in Garmisch Bavaria in Germany in 1929. He's and still alive. He's still alive. Uh, he was a writer of fantasy, and he also wrote children's fiction. Yeah, um, he, this is his most famous work, at least worldwide. It's it's his most famous uh, work of fiction. Um, he did write other books, but most people know him as the author of the Neverending Story. Yeah, he did refer to the movie as a gigantic melodrama of kitsch, commerce, plush, and plastic. He was not a fan of this movie. No, he he wasn't. He wasn't a fan of this movie, and I actually because well, it only adapts the first half of the book. Yeah, and I'll I'll go into this a little bit more because I did a, I never I never actually read the book, but I did a lot of research into what happened in the book and like where the story went from where from what you see in the movie. You read the cliff notes. I did read the cliff notes. Man, <laughs> I haven't read cliff notes for a book report in a long, long time. But that's uh, <laughs> what happens when you don't have to go to school anymore. Yeah, I know, right? But so the the the. Uh, I can understand his frustration because they essentially took what they wanted from his book and turned it into a movie. And when you have a creation like that, that, that that's wholly of your, like it's your creation and someone like takes, takes it apart and uses the pieces that they want. I can see that being kind of insulting and at a certain, and frustrating. Oh also. yeah. Super frustrating. And at, at a certain point, he actually sued the the studio and get, lost and lost, but he sued them to try and get them to change the name of the movie because he didn't want to he didn't want the movie associated with his book because he felt like the book or the movie didn't do the book in his justice. vision justice. And I I see what you're saying, but I would and this is not me trying to be a contrarian asshole, but I actually disagree with him actually because I feel like his his perspective which i i 
on an emotional level understand uh on a practical level i wholeheartedly disagree with because when you're translating a book a graphic novel a comic book a song or whatever into a larger body of work things are just going to change yeah. it's got it has to happen you yeah. know people you and I, I remember back when the the Hobbit. Do you remember when the Hobbit? Uh, what was it? Part one came out, and you and I went and saw it in the theater together. Yeah, and that was the, a weird. Yeah, that was that was years of- ago. But but him and I went and saw it in the theater, and I remember Sean had just read the book, and I had read it maybe about a year before. And yep. I remember when we were in the theater that you and I, but more you because you had just read the book, reread the book, reread the book. Uh, was frustrated at the lack of characters that were missing or scenes that were stretched out, things that were just completely changed, love stories added for no reason. Now, that part of it, okay, is a whole other gripe. We can go on a full tangent on that. But the point that I'm trying to make is that sometimes things get lost. Sometimes things have to get changed in order to make it into an hour and a half, two and a half, three hour movie, whatever. Or... Three two-hour movies. Okay, well, <laughs> yes. So even The Hobbit might even not be the best example. But the point is that it happens all the time. Yeah, it does. Where part of a book has to be edited or changed because maybe the special <laughs> effects don't translate. Maybe the dialogue doesn't translate. Maybe the technology is not there yet for either of those things to happen. And I think that's one of the cases for some of the scenes. We'll, we'll get into that later. Yeah, and I have, but, a whole, I have a whole point to make at the end of this when we're talking about the end of the of the story or the end of the movie compared to the end of the book i have a whole point to make where i'll i'll argue for uh, Ed, or nb nd's uh point yeah because i i agree with him well so. i would like to agree with him but i think i i agree with so it, the screenplay it's the screenplay is by one of the direct one of the screenplay writers is, is also, also the director, the director yeah. wolfgang peterson the other screenplay writer is herman weigel who was a german television writer so wolfgang Peterson. Um, Peterson apparently has been nominated for two Academy Awards. Ah, uh, yeah. So he's like, not for nothing. Uh, das Boot, not a kid's film, uh, but an awesome movie nonetheless. Have you seen Das Boot? Before? You know, I don't think I have, actually. Oh my god, go watch it. No joke, go watch it. And he's best known for directing and producing Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman, 97's Air Force One, starring Harrison Ford, 2004's Troy with Brad Pitt. So he's a known quantity. He's a known quantity, and he's known for putting out things that can make money, yeah. and it might arguably consider to be good. And I love Air Force One, so <laughs> I know it's a guilty pleasure, but yeah. whatever. So the rest of these guys, um, producers, worked, the rest of the guys that worked on this yeah. movie, anybody in Germany or anybody of German descent, I apologize for how we're going to destroy these names. But uh, we have the producers were Bern Eichinger and Dieter Geisler. Geisler. The film score is by Klaus Doldinger, yeah. who is a member of a German jazz group. And he most likely got the job from scoring the film Dust Boot when he worked with Peterson before. Pays to have connections. Yeah. The theme song is Giorgio Moroder, who is generally credited as one of the pioneering creators of EDM. So if you've heard of the music style of EDM, he's generally considered to be one of the guys. He famously produced a few disco singles for Donna Summers, like Last Dance, Love to Love You Baby, and Hot Stuff. Yeah, he wrote for artists like Blondie and David Bowie and Janet Jackson. And he claims to be most proud of the song Take My Breath Away. Oh, from Top, from Top Gun. Gun. Oh, Take I love some Top Gun. Love Top Gun. He won an Oscar for that in 86. And this wasn't his first Oscar, though, because he also won the same award 
for the title song in the movie Flashdance. So then, uh, what, let's really quickly talk about the music for this. Yeah, the, uh, the music is. I love the music, the music really so good. much. The music yeah. is so epic. Just starting, starting with the intro, like the theme song, essentially for this Turn movie. Turn around. Yeah, I love this song. It's yeah, so good. And and all the like the music is different for the American version versus the German version. Which we, we actually we found up. out. Yeah, because I when I da- or when I got the video the the movie when I watched it, I actually ended up wa- finding the uh, the German version. Which you say it's the German version, and you would expect there to be like language differences, but there's not. There's really only a couple language differences in written stuff where it's written in German. And your version of the movie is about ten minutes longer, fifteen minutes longer yeah. than than the American version. Yeah, and, and in certain points it has different music and it and has different voice and actors. different voice acting in some of the dubbing because some of the characters were dubbed. Yeah, but a lot of the cool electronic music is missing out of the German one. Yeah, so... That that we... I actually listened as Sean was showing me scenes, and I was like, no, this is different, and then we... We pulled we, it up on his. We pulled it up, and they're absolutely different. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that the American version would get more... Like the of the electronic techno music, yeah, which is really probably the music that most of you are familiar with from from watching and remembering this movie. Yeah, so the lyrics were done by uh, Keith Forsey. He was the composer and producer. He wrote the Flashdance song. What a feeling! What a feeling! Do, yeah, do, 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 with the with the guy we just discussed. Yeah, with Giorgio Moroder, and he produced Billy Idol's debut album. Uh, songs have been featured on soundtracks for like Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills Cop, and the oh, Breakfast Beverly Club. Hills Cop. Do, 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 do. Yeah, so a bunch of the music that he's done has ended up in those kind of movies. It was performed by the lead singer of Kajagoogoo, who, if you know Kajagoogoo at all, they're basically known for the too, too shy, shy, hush, hush, I just reckon, I just realized... And Beth Anderson, also. I just realized by looking at his name, so his name is Christopher Hamill, the guy that, that sang the song, yeah. but he's known as Limal, and yeah. that's like an anagram of Hamill. I just, re- I just realized that. Oh, yeah, it is! It is an anagram. That's clever girl. Yeah, not that clever. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't even notice that till right now. Yeah, so uh, weird. Let's mention the cast. Not all the cast, but some of them. So the main cast. Bastion Balthazar Bucks. Can I just mention his name is bullshit? No, because, it's Bastion. Uh, it is the stupidest name. First of all, who would name their kid Bastion Balthazar well, Bucks? Bastion is short for Sebastian. But not in this case. That is yeah. his actual name. It's Bastion. And for a kid's book, why would you write a name that's that bullshitty to try and read? He couldn't think of another B name that wasn't Balthazar. That was maybe a little easier. I don't know. Maybe. He apparently is a 12-year-old kid yeah. uh, who's neglected by his crappy dad. And we were we were talking about this a little bit earlier. He may be on the spectrum. Yeah, I kind of relate to this kid a little bit. Uh <laughs> Which I'm going to discuss in a few minutes. Yeah, he was played uh, by Barrett Oliver, who was in Cocoon and Cocoon the Return, and some sci-fi movie named Daryl, D-A-Y-R-Y-L. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Looking it up, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah. He's now uh, a photographer, and oh. he does uh, professional printing and Good stuff. Good for him. Uh, now, Atreyu, there's some stuff I put in here. I, there's stuff that I know about him I did not put in here, so we'll discuss him here. Oh, okay. Because there's some interesting stuff. So, so Atreyu is the uh, is the plains warrior, the plains per, the plains people, member of the plains people tribe, yes. who's a who's a great warrior. And when he's described first by one of the characters, we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, when he's described first, the way he's described is you'd think that he was this like great big strong adult guy. Who, he is also like a like kind of twelve year old kid, but he's a more sinewy. 
strapping 12-year-old kid who looks at least semi-capable. Ba- Bastion looks like uh, he's frightened of a wet paper towel, and Atreyu looks like, you know, he probably kills animals in his backyard. Because he's kind of got that creepy long hair. Actually, you know what's funny? When they first introduce Atreyu, my, my daughter goes, Daddy, who is that girl? Who is she? He is, a, and then we had to explain that boys can have long hair. He is a he is a very pretty child. He's a he's a yeah a very feminine looking little boy. Yeah, and at this point in his life, not later as an adult, because uh, I looked him up, but in the books he's a green skin, and that didn't make it into production, but it yeah, did get looked, all the way weird. That that idea of him being a quote green skin made it all the way through to uh, right before final production. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had done test shoots and everything, and it just they said it didn't look good, so they cut it. And he's played by a guy named Noah Hathaway. Now he was in the original Battlestar Galactica series, not the reboot in, two, in the mid early two thousands, which is one of my favorite series of all time. I get <laughs> man tears every time, and I don't care. You can judge me later, but. He plays a character named Boxy, which is Captain Apollo's son. Not Boxy from 4chan, not not the Queen of Bee, but mm-hmm. another Boxy. And um, he was in a, a movie called Troll. Didn't you just tell me that you had just seen the movie Troll recently? No, Troll 2. Troll 2, okay. Yeah, I watched Troll 2. Yeah, so he plays a character named Harry Potter Jr., which is funny because we were talking about Trolls recently. Yeah. And yes... There is controversy that J.K. Rowling stole elements from the movie Troll to rename her characters. Because it's not just Harry Potter. There's a bunch of them. A bunch of stuff, apparently, that the, the the Troll film guys claim that she stole. Well, I'll have to go watch Troll now. His name is Harry Potter. I mean, come on. Yeah. So, I guess that as an adult, he has a couple of black belts in Muay Thai. And he, he did stunt work as an adult. He actually had a bunch of injuries on the set of this movie. He did. And he, nearly he died, died several times. And we'll discuss that also as we go on. But he now, I guess, back in March, I think January or March, he had to have a pretty significant spinal fusion. And Ooh. and his neighbor started a GoFundMe to help with his hospital bills. Damn. Apparently, he it's injuries longstanding from his work on this movie. He's claiming. Holy crap. And also because he was a stunt guy and that kind of shit doesn't help too much either. But, yeah. you know, you can look him up. I don't know if you want to go help the guy. Uh, this is not a plug. I don't know him or anything. But, yeah. you know, I just thought it was interesting how this movie has, like, affected his, his life. Yeah, his entire yeah. life. Next um, we have the childlike empress, empress who is essentially the... the. I get the feeling that she's kind of the omnipotent ruler of fantasia oh yeah fourth wall of the fourth wall breaker but she she uh everyone essentially comes to her for help from in the beginning of the movie in the beginning because the they don't story. know what the fuck to do yeah but but they are confident that the childlike empress would will know what to do and will be able to to help i them. like that she lives in an ivory tower she does i thought that was kind of funny i don't know if that was like an intentional joke or I, if you it know was actually I, I don't feel think like it was a joke. I, I feel think, like it was accidental. Yeah, it was. I don't think he was like meta enough to figure out the ivory temp, the yeah. ivory tower thing. And she she essentially embodies Fantasia. So if if she dies, Fantasia dies with her. And she measures her lifetime in names. So a child gives her her name, and then she gets to keep it for X amount of time until eventually she needs a new name, and then the start cycle starts all over again. Now, yeah. and she's not she's not actually a child. She's just sort of childlike. That's how yeah. she's described. She's like thousands of years old. Yeah, but, exactly. But the in the in the movie, none of this is really explained until really you kind of get a glimpse of it at the end, and it, that part 
if you're a kid or even as an adult, because I, I didn't pick up on that. You until, have to really pay attention. Yeah. Now, as an adult, I was paying attention because I was like, it's my job now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I'm paying attention, and that was actually kind of a mind-blown moment for me, because I never picked it up until watching it. And that's part of what I'm going to explain at the end about... It completely went over my head as a kid. Like, I didn't get it. I just thought, like, she was sick, and she needed a new name, and then she got the new name, and she was happy, and I didn't get it at all. That, like, her life force and and, and the whole meta process didn't get it at all. No, I'll I'll talk about that at the end. So she's played by Tammy Stronach. Stronach? Uh, she's a dancer and choreographer from Iran who's half Scottish and half Israeli. She's not really acting anymore. She mostly just dances. Yeah, she does dancing and choreography. As an adult, she's pretty attractive still. She's like mid-40s now. Now, I'm not going to say as an adult I found the child attractive, but as a kid I was like, that's a pretty girl. As a little kid, I thought that she was cute, and then as an adult I went and found her adult picture, and I was like, yeah. Pretty cute still. I mean, she does ballet and all kinds of, so you would imagine she'd yeah. probably be looking good. So, uh, the next character is Urgle. Um, Urgle, who is the scientist's wife, and the scientist's name is Ingwuk. So, Urgle is the one who removes the poison from a tray in the book, but this doesn't happen in the movie. She's the one who comes over. Yeah, at least. She cooks like the weird eyeball soup and injects Falcor with a. Drugs, yeah. vitamins. It, it leads to a, it leads to kind of like a plot hole in the in the movie because she's treating them for something that doesn't make sense. Yeah, she's. It's like so, she doesn't serve a purpose in the movie, but in the book she absolutely does. So what what happens in the book? And and I did a little bit of side research because I've never actually read the book, but I did. Like I said, I kind of want to. Now. Yeah, I did a little side research on what happens in the book and and what the differences are between the book and the movie. And what happens in the book is, uh, in in the movie, Falcor and Atreyu meet. Uh, in the movie, they meet after he go after Atreyu goes to the Swamp of Sadness and meets and, Mora the and meets Mora whatever. the Ancient One. So he's like sinking into the swamp, and the Gamork is about to attack him, and Falcor just sort of swoops in and picks him up for kind of no reason, just like, "Hey, I'm a luck dragon. I'm going to pick you up and save your life." And then they go, and then the next scene is sort of just fades out. The next scene is is them on this sort of mountaintop, and Atreyu wakes up and he's got a bandage on his arm, and, and Fal- we get an introduction to Falcor, and then we meet Urgle. Yeah. So what happens in the book is actually uh, a bunch Atreyu, of stuff yeah. Happens. Atreyu saves Falcor. That's how that's where he meets him for the first time, and that's how they become friends. Yeah. Because really, in the in the movie, other than just the Falcor being cool. Yeah, other than just sort uh, of the will of the story, there's no reason for Falcor to swoop in and save a trade. Or to exist. Yeah. yeah. I believe the 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 emblem that that is worn by a trade, the Orin, uh ha- is tied to all the luck dragons in the universe of the Neverending Story, and that the the bearer of the Orin can call upon help from the Orin and the Orin will basically sort of send a message out to the luck dragons. Yeah. And, and they should, they're supposed to all show up. And in the book, there's, there's multiple luck dragons and you get to see a couple of them. Falcor just so happens to be the one that Atreyu meets first. And then Falcor accompanies him. Yeah. Becomes friends. So in the book, Falcor is being attacked by Igrimol the Many, who's it's like a swarm of wasps. That, this was supposed to be in the movie, yeah, it and was. it didn't it was make written, it in. It was written into the script, but the 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 sort of CGI special effects limitations of the time, 1984, yeah. they weren't able to do it. It was prohibitively expensive. So in the book, 
Falcor is being attacked by Igramal the me- the many, and Atreyu comes in and saves him. And they're essentially like these poisonous wasps that take forms. Yeah. And so Atreyu and Falcor end up getting in a fight with this thing, and they get injured. And, what, and poisoned, and, and poisoned. then Urgul saves them. And then Urgul, later, they, they get away, and Urgul saves them. That's why you get a scene of Urgul injecting Falcor with a giant syringe. And and yeah. when Falcor, when uh, Atreyu wakes up, Falcor tells Atreyu, you know, oh, you're awake now, your wounds have been healed, and your your sickness has been tended to. And, like, you think about that in the context of the movie, you're like, he, When did he get injured? He was yeah. just in the mud, sinking yeah, in the mud, and Falcor pulls him out, and he's got a bandage on his arm. How yeah, did that happen? He, why does he have a bandage? Like, it doesn't make any sense. But when you, when you... When well, you, and as a kid, I never placed it. Like, yeah. it, it never was something that occurred to me. You know, I wasn't thinking about all this meta shit when I was a five-year-old, you know? Yeah. And 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 so this happened. I'm like, okay. And you just kind of go along with so it So Urgul, Urgul has a much more important part in the book because she literally yeah. saves their lives. Now, the actress, her name is Patricia Hayes. And for me, she will always be the old sorceress from Willow, which came out in 88. No, She's she, Finn Raziel. And this... Okay, so that's the one. That's Sean can even see it. I put in the notes. Oh, I want to watch this movie so bad in all caps with a bunch of exclamation points. Yeah. And I love Willow. Willow is one of my all-time top favorite movies. Willow is up there for me with Back to the Future. I love the shit out of Willow. If Willow was a person, I would marry the movie. Okay. <laughs> So I'm very passionate so this, about this the character. movie Willow. Mad Mardigan is like my goddamn spirit animal. <laughs> so like, I the, don't care. And so movie, seeing her in the movie for me in the movie Willow, she plays the one where like Willow tr- she turns into a goat, right? And Willow tries to turn her back from yes, a goat. She's like, yes. Willow, you're the wand. Yes. Okay. So re- yeah, it's Raziel. And, and most of the movie, she at some point she's a goat and then a possum and on all this stuff. She's a possum for a lot of the movie. Uh, she's a crow at one point. She yeah, she changes yeah. forms a bunch. Um, if you have not seen Willow, go watch Willow. It's so good. But watch this uh, movie first. Yeah, watch this movie first. So uh, then, but then, then go watch Willow. So then we have she's a BAFTA award winning actress, oh. by the way. We should mention. Yes. Um, she's 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 very talented. Very talented actress. Yes. So then we have uh, and and, oh, and sorry. No, I just wanted to say, next May is going to be the 30th anniversary of Willow. I'm petitioning now that we do Willow next year. So uh, I think we can work that in. Okay, it's happening. I don't care. <laughs> it's happening. So then we have uh, Engie Wook, who is a uh, Engie Wook, who yeah. is a gnomish scientist. They're both gnomes. Because you don't really, I didn't really notice, this is one of the things where I didn't notice it at the time when I watched it as a kid, but I, I realized it when I was watching it later. They do this like foreshortening shots and they do like yeah. screen shots to make, to make a tray look way bigger than there, these two. There are scenes when they get it wrong though, when they, it's like they, they're like, eh, fuck it. They're I both forgot. together and like, yeah. it yeah. looks, it looks like the two of them should be probably maybe like eight inches tall. Or like a foot tall or something. Like from the perspective of sometimes, them in the cave, and then other times they look like, like they're just supposed the, to be two and a half feet, three feet tall. Yeah, and then some other times they're just sort of shorter than like. And there's one or two scenes where they're all the same height. Yeah. So so he he's a uh, he's, he's studied, acted by Sidney Bromley. Yeah. He's the the character studies the Southern Oracle. Yeah. He's never entered him. He's a scientist. He's yeah. uh, He's very interested in the Oracle and what it has to say and what it's for. Um, he's a character actor, prolific character actor that started acting way back in 1924. Yeah. Now there's, I only, he's done a ton. I mean, we could have, he's another person who I probably could have done a whole show on because his 
career is pretty prolific, but I just put two of the movies that he's been in. American Werewolf in London, uh, the famous John Landis film in the 1980s, which I believe uh, inspired the special effects for Thriller. I mean, John Landis didn't really have anything to do with it, but I believe that they're inspired the special effects for Thriller. And then the other movie that he did, which I think I mentioned before, is Dragon Slayer. Because the 1980s was this really good time for fantasy epic. Oh, yeah. And Dragon Slayer is one of those. Uh, if you have not seen Dragon Slayer from 1981, go go try and download it to check it out. Yeah. Um, so Bastion's dad is Major Dad, Gerald McRaney. Gerald. And Gerald, excuse <laughs> He's me. He's not French. Gerald. 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 I always say Gerald. I can't help it. Uh, Gerald McRaney. He is a neglectful workaholic with zero emotion, and I would argue he's a bad father. Well, I mean, um, to be fair to his character, it, it appears through the story of both the book and the and the movie that their his wife and Bastion's mother has just died. Somewhat recently. Like fair yeah, yeah. fairly recently, to the but point where a, it's still really affecting both of them. But I would argue that he's a, still a shitty dad because of the way that he talks to his kid. Yeah, uh, there is a scene um, like right early on in the beginning of the movie when the movie's first opening up. They're sitting around like Dad's kind of making breakfast. Uh, by the way, he's making breakfast in this really cool Hamilton Beach blender that I remember having as a kid. <laughs> uh, and his breakfast in the blender is orange juice and eggs in an egg blender. It's oh. yeah, he's he's doing the uh, Rocky Balboa. Diet. Oh, it's so gross because like you see him. Like make it and then he sips it and it's it's weird because they'll show him drinking it and sometimes the glass is uh, empty and then sometimes it's full and it goes back and forth. But but he has this line. Bastion, we each have responsibilities. We can't let mom's death be an excuse for not getting the old job done, right? <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> like what a dick move. And a couple minutes later he goes... Stop daydreaming. Start facing your problems. Listen, kid. I know your mother died, and it's deeply upsetting, and you're going to need decades well, worth of therapy, yeah. but F you, you need to go to school and get work done. Well, it, like, sort, of, it sort of speaks to, to and this is one of it's the... It's that whole stiff upper lip, and that's why like, I was like, Gerald, maybe? I don't, I don't no, know. But So the, his his relationship with his dad, I think that the, the that, is in, that is sort of intentional, because Bastion's relationship with his dad is sort of a... Strained, to say the well, least. Well, no, 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 it's, it's like a plot point. It's a plot yeah, point. Yeah, no, it is, yeah. You're right. And it's, it's something that... It's something that he has to address at the end of the book, where he sort of has a reconciliation with his dad at, sort the, of, at the end yeah. of the book, because he realizes he realizes that he needs like his father and this, but it, it's like that they need each other essentially. Yes, yeah. So it, I can I can sort of understand it a little bit. Like that's the thing is that just just the way that the movie stops halfway through the story, you yeah. just sort of think that his dad is an asshole. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm kind of remembering the second movie. Yeah, because the second uh, movie, if you've never seen the second movie, it sort of takes pieces from the second half of the book and fills them in, but doesn't really hit on all the, the points. It takes yeah, plot points from the second yeah. half of the book. I mean, it, and there was, and, and all the cast changed too. There, Because all the, all, the all the main actors were too old. Yeah, they got too old, but there, there was... Um, too old, too old. Too old. 
the I'm trying to think uh, what's the name of the kid who was in the second one, the guy from Sequest who hung himself in like the early 2000s. Oh Jesus, I don't know. Yeah, let's get dark for a minute, Sean. Mmm, delicious. What, no. Who did he play? Did he play Bastion? Yeah, he played Bastion. So it was Jonathan Brandis. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that. I looked it up real quick. Okay. Well, <laughs> Just, I was impressed for a second there. Now, he, uh, I, I like that movie, and I, th- I always liked him as an actor. But, uh, you know, I remember that movie, the second one, where... So, in the first movie, his dad mentions about him, like, not trying out for the swim team and how he's disappointed. And then that's kind of like a big plot point in the second one, is him not jumping off a diving board. It's like a big climactic scene yeah in the beginning of the second movie and then he finally does it at the end and then that's kind of like his i don't know recompense of some sort for for being a shitty kid but you know whatever uh you know major dad in this is if you just go off of this movie shitty dad yeah and Uh, he's he's literally in the movie for probably 90 seconds yeah yeah i'd say about that it's literally the first the first scene of the movie and then that's it he's not in the movie for the rest of the movie yeah yeah, I'd say so. That, uh, we really, got we got uh, a couple of quick characters that we're yeah. going to mention. One I like, is I, I like this character. Uh, he's only in the movie for just a tiny bit. His name is uh, uh, Chiron. Yeah, and he's the servant. I thought at the at first I thought he was like maybe the doctor of the Empress too, but he's a servant of the Empress. He's yeah, played. he's like an award winning, uh, like a Tony nominated actor. He was in Roots. His name yeah. is Moses Gunn, and he is. For me, as a kid, when I think... Okay, so when I have memories of this movie, he is one of the few people that I can hear his name. Or you can hear or his I, voice. I can hear his voice. Like, etched into my childhood because brain. Because his, his voice in this movie, he... Like, we'll, like the line that I that always stuck with me is, We'll destroy our world. And it's, it's in there forever. Our empress has fallen deathly ill. And she may die. The Empress herself has become deathly ill. There seems to be a mysterious link between her illness and the nothing. She's dying. So she cannot save. Like yeah, like, like oh, he's just he's he's super ethereal and he su- he sounds super important. Yeah, he's so he's or a famous part, actor, part, and and I just wanted to mention him really quick because I loved him in this. The line that I love is when he goes, he goes, uh, the plains people have a warrior, a great warrior named Atreyu, and he's like, and then Atreyu comes up and he's like, I am Atreyu, and he goes, not Atreyu the boy, Atreyu the warrior. That, so in, in the notes I was taking from the movie, all I could think of was they ask for Atreyu. Atreyu stands up and they tell him to sit his ass back down. They do. And they ask for a real man. And he's like, I'm the only Atreyu you got, bitch. But if you if you want me I'll to go, leave. Yeah, he's like, I'll go back to hunt the, the purple buffalo. That's, I'll leave. That's I'm pretty sure that's a fucking strain of Kush, too. Purple, purple bu- buffalo. It probably is. Yeah. I mean, we're in California. Maybe we should know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. All right. Uh, <laughs> the next got, characters you got are, are kind of important. Yeah, they're voiced by Alan Oppenheimer, who oh, is Doctor Oppenheimer. Oh yeah. my god, he's he's Doctor Wells on the Six Million Dollar Man. That's not important. No, but he is. <laughs> he's the voice of Prime Evil in the Filmation Ghostbusters series. The garbage Ghostbusters with yeah. the fucking gorilla. Whatever. It's not garbage. 
Okay, it's not great. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that He's point. also the voice of Rhinoki on The Wuzzles, your favorite show. I love The Wuzzles. It's going to happen someday, Sean. It's going <laughs> to... But he's most known for his role as Skeletor. He's Skeletor! Oh, Skeletor. So many memes, so little time. <laughs> God. He, yeah, he's done a bunch of he's stuff. He's also Man-at-Arms. That's like his normal talking voice. His normal speaking voice is Man-at-Arms. Yeah. And, and so in this movie, he's the voice of Falcor and Gamak. Uh, and uh, Rockbiter, and he's also the narrator that, that plays a, a few, just a few lines. Yeah, we've talked um, about Falcor already, but Falcor the Luck Dragon, he... Did you see the notes that I put in there? So, yeah. the original name is Fuchur, which is derived from the Japanese F-U-K-U-R-Y-U-U, which is Fukuryu. Or, Fuck you! Which was changed in the English translation because obviously it sounds too close. Fuck to, you! Yes, that's <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so he's friendly and helpful, and he's the luck dragon. And then Gamok, who Gamok. is the sort of the main villain, but not, I mean the main villain's the nothing. But he's, Gamok he's, is like the physical embodiment, sort of. He's like yeah, his, he's the he's the like he's the actual anta- like he's the actual physical opposite, antagonist. Yeah. yeah, who is actually physically trying to stop and kill. Atreyu. Yeah, he's a wolf with black fur. Uh, we got the the grumpy books uh, bookseller that Sean 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 was, loves. Yeah, Sean when, was hoping it, that that the bookseller would have reappeared in his childhood and made yeah, a man was, out of him. When I when I was watching this, one of the notes that I made about about the bookseller, Mister, his name is Carl Conrad Coriander, and that's actually his name in the in the in the original book too, except so, it's but spelled with K. Yeah, it's K. Well, cause German K is like the, the hard cuss sound yeah, and then English is C. So, so in, in the book, he's got a similar name to, to Bastion because Bastion, Bastion, Balthazar Bucks, and then Conrad or Mr. Coriander is Conrad Con, or Carl Conrad Coriander. It's, it's similar, like same letter of all your names. When I was taking my notes, all I could think of is, holy shit, this guy is rapey as hell. Yeah, no, I put he the gets same super, He in gets mind, super too. close to him. He goes, yeah. He goes, what'd you say? Like, he, like when Bastion tells him that he's read all these books. And he's like, well, have you ever been in danger? And I'm thinking, like, his next question is, do you want to be? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, he's, he's, he's played a by a guy named Thomas Hill. And he was in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And uh, the film version of The Postman Always Rings Twice. I mean, he's a prolific actor as well. Uh, that we're only going to mention two more characters. The first one is uh, Nighthob, who's a messenger who rides a narcoleptic bat, and it's played by a guy named Tilo Pruckner, who played Doctor Richter in the awesome 2012 film Iron Sky. Which I remember that. Yeah. I've seen it. Is it, that where the Nazis are on the moon? Yes. If you uh. <laughs> have not seen it, it's about a group of Nazis that fled to the moon after losing World War II, who then build a space fleet and return to Earth in 2018 to conquer the Earth. Yes. And it's got the Earth at that point. The president is Sarah Palin, which 2018 Sarah Palin president I think is kind of funny because it's 2017. We got Donald Trump, and they're kind of similar. Yeah. Um, and so we've got the next character is Teeny Weeny, who's he's, a messenger who rides a, a snail. He's a racing snail. Yes, and he's he's portrayed by the guy that you might know as the modern Oompa Loompa in the recent Charlie and the Chocolate Factory remake. His name's Deep Roy. And he's yeah. had a bunch of uh, roles on Doctor Who and the X-Files. And there's a, there's a bunch fa- of other random characters. Yeah. One of them is a uncredited Nicholas Gilbert, who was a pro cricket player. And a bunch of other people. I don't want to go into all of them. Really, really quick. It's with, just too much time. Really but. quick with Teeny Weeny and, uh, and Deep Roy. 
we noticed that one of the differences in between my version yes. that I had and the version that Chris watched. I almost forgot about that. Is is that I noticed, and I'll and I'll play it really quick, that in my version, Deep Roy, or Teeny Weeny, the character of Teeny Weeny, has a weird dubbed southern accent. Night Hob, this could be serious. Rockbiter, what you have told us is also happening where I live in the West. A strange sort of nothing is destroying everything. Yes. Yeah. But in the American version, in the, Amer- the the English language, well, not English language, but the American version, he has just a sort of normal accent. Nighthawk, this could be serious. Rockbiter, what you have told us is also happening where I live in the West. A strange sort of nothing is destroying everything. Yes. And I, I cannot figure out why they would have done that. Because of the same lines. It's the same and, lines. And Deep Roy was dubbed anyway. So yeah. they're, they're like, oh, the brown guy, we gotta dub the brown guy because nobody can understand the brown guy. Yeah, it's like that. It's like there's this one YouTube video I've seen where they have a like some some BBC person interviewing like a like a terrorist. And they interview one guy and he can speak normally and they don't subtitle him. And then they go to another guy and he, he gets subtitled. He goes, wait a minute, are you subtitling me? I went to the fucking Oxford College in in, in London. I speak better English. Than- Never mind, I'm going to edit all this out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, edits. Yeah. Edits are fun. Yeah, I, there's there's like this weird thing like with the voices. And I don't understand why they would do that. Because you have... The same actor, two different voice dubs, yeah, why? for no reason. So let's let's talk about the, the yeah. I want to talk ab- about the let's I, talk about the plot of the movie. This movie is a lot deeper than I thought it was going to be, and yeah. I had no idea when I sat down to watch it. I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun thing for my kid. Yeah. So the plot of the movie is that well, there's there's sort of a dual plot. There's the plot of the real world and the plot of the story. So I would argue there's three. Let's talk about the third one in a minute. Okay. So the plot of the real movie, the plot of the real world where Bastion exists, Bastion and his and his father and and whatever, is that Bastion is trying to deal. I, I mean, this is the implication that I got: is Bastion is trying to deal with the fact that his mother just died. He's and a he's a intellectually uh, he's a res- gifted child, but he's really reserved, emotionally reserved. Doesn't does- have a lot of friends. Yeah, that type and, of thing. And and he. Is trying to deal with the sadness of losing his mom and having no friends and being uncool, and then uh, and relating he, to and his he's, dad. He's, bull- he's bullied in school and finding the courage to stand up to those bullies. Yeah, so he he's bullied. He goes and sort of steals a book that he he to escape bullies to escape his bullies. He runs into a bookstore and that's where he meets. Well, he got put into a dumpster before yeah. that. Uh, and then he escaped. And the reason why I wanted to mention the dumpster, because... It comes back later. Well, it does. But the reason why I wanted to mention it for myself was, it was at this point, re-watching it, that I remembered why I loved this movie as a kid. Not so much why I remembered why I loved it. More so... Why you related to it? Why I related to it. How many times did you get thrown into dumpster? More than once. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, maybe twice. But I, at one point, I was uh, handcuffed to a chain link fence in, like, fourth grade. Oh, my God. Yeah, I I was not, uh, I was a spastic kid who, uh, I would finish my test early, I never had to study, and then I I never did my homework and didn't emotionally relate to other children. So you were Bastion. I I was Bastion. Yeah, I mean, so at one point he talks about all these books that he's written. Or uh, read, yeah. Sorry, all these books that he's read. So when he, when he goes. And I, so before we talk, before we recorded this, you and I were talking about this. Yeah. 
And you're like, who would believe that this kid read the, all these well, books? And he rattles them all off. Yeah, he ra- so in the book, in, in the movie, what happens is Bastion gets thrown in a dumpster by these bullies. And then he escapes the dumpster. And then they see, the bullies see him out. And they're like, what, did I say you would get out of the dumpster? So he runs from him and he, di- he ducks into a bookstore, like a used bookstore. And that's where he meets the bookseller, which is Carl Conrad Coriander. So he, so uh, the guy looks at him, the book Carl, Mr. Coriander, looks at him and he says, the, the arcade's down the street. We only sell these weird rectangular things called books in here. Are you still here? Did you hear what I said, boy? Um, I was so- You're hiding, aren't you? No, I was just... The video arcade is down the street. Here we just sell small rectangular objects. They're called books. Bastion then says, I know what books are. Yeah, and he rattles off all these books. I know books. I have 186 of them at home. Ah, comic books. No, I've read Treasure Island, Last of the Mohicans, Wizard of Oz, Lord of the Rings, 20,000 Leagues on the Sea, Tarzan. And the reason why I also related was I had read a bunch of these books by that age. And I was that weird kid who'd read Treasure Island at like nine years old because... I didn't have a lot of friends, and I related to books better than people. Yeah, and, and I guess I didn't because what I, what I wrote down in this is who like who's going to believe that Bastion has read all these freaking books? He he rattles off like ten books. Yeah, I mean, I was probably the only kid in first grade who'd read like Tom like a uh, Huckleberry Finn. Oh, that explains a lot. Yeah, yeah. racist. Yes. <laughs> no. Oh man, that book is super racist. Uh, but Bastion says, "Oh, I have 186 of them." In, in like specifically baloney yeah at one point though did you notice that at one point this phone call happens and the bookseller gets up to walk away that's when bastion steals the he steals the book that's because a, he he has this weird exchange with the with the bookseller with mr coriander where mr coriander is like have you ever been in danger like, oh, I, I, like I was the thinking, super, yeah, the super rapey part. I was thinking, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? It's not Batman. <laughs> no, it's I'm Batman. Batman. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> so the reason why I mentioned that scene was there's there's this point when uh, Coriander's on the phone and he's having a conversation with somebody about the books. So this is when I realized that he does he's not just like a regular bookseller. He he's like a uh, he deals a magical with, bookseller. Uh, magical. No, he he deals in rare and expensive books because this came out in '84, and he's talking a, about a book that ranges in price between 350 and 375 dollars, and takes several weeks to ship from whoever he's going to purchase it from. Huh. So he's we're talking about like first prints, first editions of very rare books. So. To go back to eighty four, three hundred and seventy. That's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of money. You're talking that's VCR money. That is VCR money. That's <laughs> uh, what is it? Six VHSs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's something that I thought was well, one because it kind of dates it, but even to today, a book that's three hundred and seventy five dollars, you're like, shit. Yeah, that's not a lot of money to spend on a book, and that's when. He he ends up being late to school and ditches and sneaks up into the attic to read this so epic. Yeah, he so he steals the book and then kind of immerses himself in the book. Yeah, and so the that, movie goes back and forth. Yeah, so that's the that's the story from the real world. You have Bastion reading the book in the attic of the school because he he essentially gets to school late and he just goes up into the attic to read the book all day. 
because that's what he does, I guess. Yeah. So he goes up there, and that that's the real world story. And then you have the Fantasia story, which is the book he's reading. You have the story and of And it the will book. bounce back and forth between him uh, having internal dialogue that he speaks out loud uh, in the attic by himself, and what's happening in the book. So from here on out, there are points when it will cut back and forth to him and the book, and they make kind of a point to have... When it cuts back to him, he will then start to read a few lines from the book, and then it will just kind of go right into the story. Yeah, as a way to remind you, oh yeah, that's right. He's what you're reading, yeah, a what book. you're what you're seeing is the story from is the, book. the story he's reading. Yeah. Now the story of Fantasia is essentially the story of the destruction of Fantasia, which we mentioned kind of earlier on today. Yeah. So what what's going on is there is this great and powerful nothing. That's what they call it, the nothing. That is that is basically ravaging the land, destroying our world, destroying our world. Yeah. So this this great and powerful nothing is going across and just literally destroying Fantasia, and the uh, the, the 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 different groups in Fantasia have come to the to the childlike empress to to figure out what they need to do. How do we save our world? And the story that we follow is the story of Atreyu, who is tasked with figuring out how to save Fantasia. And he's not really given a whole lot of information on how to do that. He's just essentially told you have to leave all your all of your weapons here and you have to go and Which makes out. no sense. Yeah, they because, don't explain that. Yeah, because the, the childlike empress is sick and they need to figure out how to save her, how to make her well because she's going to die. Now, now my wife, by the way, has never seen this movie. I was going to bring that up later. Well, I wanted to bring it up now because... Because, well, right around the time of Major Dad being a shitty dad, she goes, I'm sure I've never seen this movie. So right off the bat, she knew, I've never seen this. Mm -hmm. And at this point, she goes, why can't he bring his weapons? Yeah, it's stupid. It, doesn't it make makes no sense. sense. And, and, and she, also my wife was insanely impressed with Atreyu's hair. She was very jealous. Oh, it's super. It's very, he is a very as we mentioned earlier. He's a very pretty young boy. Yes. And so she was very I'm gonna go impressed ahead and apply by the... for my Nambla membership. <laughs> Nambla. <laughs> oh, the membership that my that my potential beard would come from. Nambla. <laughs> the thing is, is that that he's got a bunch. He's got like a bow and arrow and all the stuff that he can't bring. Because if you've never seen the movie, Atreyu is essentially like a Native American Indian. Sort of, yeah. That's that's what his character is supposed to be. He's a pl person from the plane that hunts the purple buffalo. He is he is by all accounts like he he embodies and this is this is actually a term you can look it up. He embodies sort of the noble savage yes. archetype. Yes, which is sort of offensive in and of itself. But yeah, but it is a, it is but, an archetype that was that was used in media in the for past. a long time. Yeah, until sort it, of fairly recently. Yeah, it's well, so, still it's, sort of gets used. Yeah, but. it's sort of a it's sort of an archetype uh, an archetype of a of a native person who is in tune with nature who is is he's smarter than the rest he's yeah. the smart brown guy and it's pretty offensive yeah. but uh that's but, that's the character that he that he is yes and the reason why i wanted to mention uh, what joy brought up was that when they tell him to go out and quote find the cure they never tell him where to go yeah they just sort of say go figure it out and joy goes wait where's he supposed to go they no. didn't. They just told him to go find the cure, and nothing. 
Yeah, and, and, and he literally rides for like like days at a time. They say weeks. Weeks at a time. Until and he, he comes to the Swamp of Sadness. Yeah, and that's the saddest part for literally everyone who's ever watched this movie because that's the part where Artax dies. And I remember this scene being super sad. But oh, as yeah. A, as an adult, I did not find this to be all that sad. My kid found it sad, so I guess it, it still holds for children. Well, Artax but... is supposed to be his like best friend. Artax is his horse. Artax is his horse, but it's also his best friend. And Artax and loses his will and sinks into the mud because he gets too sad. Yeah. Really, really ridiculous aside about this part. So Artax, it's, it's a big murky swamp. Big, muddy, murky, awful swamp that they're, that they're in, that they're walking through. And Artax is essentially the special effect for this is Artax sinks. And Artax... Oh, this is a good thing to bring up. Yeah, yeah Artax, go ahead. Artax is essentially on a elevator. So in the swamp, Artax slowly lowers, and and the the concept behind this is in the story. If you are if you're in the swamp of sadness and you succumb to the sadness of the swamp, then you'll sink into the swamp and you'll die. Artax, you're sinking! Come on, turn around! You have to now! Come on, Artax! Fighting against the sadness, Artax! Artex, please. You're letting the sadness of the swamps get to you. You have to try. You have to care. For me. You're my friend. So Artax, the horse, succumbs to the sadness and starts to sink. So the horse is actually on an elevator that's lowering down into the swamp just to sort of get the shot to lower it down. And what happens... It, what happened in the in the uh, in the production of the movie is actually super super crazy. Is that uh, Noah Hathaway, the actor that played Atreyu, his foot actually got caught on the elevator because during this scene he is pulling on Artax. The character of Atreyu is pulling on Artax, like "Move, you stupid horse! Move! Like you're gonna die!" Whatever. And he's he's pulling on the horse, and the actual actor's foot got caught on the elevator that was pulling the horse down, and he actually got dragged under the water. And he was under there for long enough that he passed out. He essentially suffocated and passed out. And they had to go and essentially save him. Revive him. They revived him. Yeah, he almost died here. Yeah, and it's one of it's one of two parts in the movie, two two events in the movie where he almost freaking died. There was, I think, another time when uh during his horse riding training that he was thrown off the horse and, and he the was horse injured. stepped on him. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, there was there was another scene like at the end when he's in a fight scene with uh, Gmork, and one of the giant claw, fake claws from Gmork poked him in the face, almost and, got his eye. Yeah, almost got his eye, and it was so heavy that he couldn't breathe. Yeah, he and almost, he almost suffocated again. He almost got crushed. Like holy crap! He almost the child actor in this the movie. one scene that that happened when you guys watch if you guys go out and watch this movie when that scene happens, it's the only take they did. Because after that, they're like, oh, our actor almost died. Let's maybe not do it again. Yeah, our, this is the second time our actor almost died. Maybe we should not, like, put him in danger anymore. Yeah, and and that is, uh, that whole scene with the Swamp of Sadness is, like, one of the more memorable scenes. That whole kind of longer section with the the giant turtle Mora. Yeah. Uh, as Joy was watching this with me, they go, uh, Mora the Timeless, and they see the big hill. And Joy goes... It's a giant turtle, isn't it? 
Like she called it like right off the bat. I was like, you know what? It remi- Don't ruin it for our kid. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? If you've ever seen Avatar, the Avatar: The Last Airbender, the giant turtle lion that teaches him how to like chi bend so that he can defeat Ozai in the episode in Avatar: The Last Airbender. <laughs> so some of you don't understand why Sean sounds so adamant right now. We just had like a off recording argument for several minutes about this, and we are both right and both wrong. So that's that's where we're gonna go with it. I was thinking of Cor- in Korra, and he was thinking in the original at Avatar: the, Last Airbender yeah, at the end when he doesn't want to kill Ozai. So we're both right. We're both uh, right, and that's the best kind of right. That's the best kind of right. It's when everybody's right. So therefore, <laughs> nobody's special. I'm technically <laughs> right, and that's the best kind of right. Anyway, so yeah, so he. Where do, where were we going with? We're this? talking about the turtle Morla, the turtle Morla, who's an asshole. Yeah, kind of an asshole. Because we don't care. We don't even care that we, we don't, don't care. care. Like fuck you, Morla. <laughs> like, yeah, I like that 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 whole because the, thing. It's like Atreyu goes to Morla because he's trying to figure out what can save the Empress, and Morla essentially tells him because Morla is the oldest being in Fantasia. And, and Mor- Morla is like, I don't care. No, you Morla, figure it out. Morla of. essentially tells him he doesn't know. And if he did know, he probably wouldn't tell him anyway because he doesn't care. You know how I can help the Empress, don't you? Not that it matters. But, yes. If you don't tell me and then nothing keeps coming, you'll die too. Both of you. Die? Hmm, now. That at least would be something. So he tells him, you know, who would know is the Southern Oracle. So that's Atreyu ends up going to the Southern Oracle. But he finds out that, like, the Southern Oracle is 10,000 miles away. He goes, it's, it's the most defeated, the most defeated line in the entire, in the entire. So he goes, but that's so funny. The thing that I I forgot about this is that Morla is allergic to Atreyu. He's allergic to youth. That's oh, is that said. what it is? He doesn't say he's allergic uh, to see, you. I thought he said he's allergic to you, No, he not said, youth. he said, we are allergic to youth. Oh, see, I always heard it as you. Yeah, no, it's it's youth. Okay, well, youth is funnier. Yeah, it is. Uh, because he's the ancient one. Yeah. There's a, there's like a funny gag where like Morla sneezes and he doesn't fall and he sneezes and he falls in the mud and yeah it keeps whatever. happening so this yeah. is in the movie this is where Atreyu meets uh, Falcor because he's slo- after he talks to Morla he's slogging through the muck and the Gamork is chasing after him and Falcor sort of swoops down and saves him at the last second yeah the scene with the Southern Oracle that that, that happens after this is really cool. I love that whole scene, like the dramatic music and then watching everything and the the warning from from the the scientists about how the gate is dangerous. Yeah, you the, can see your inner whatever. Yeah, and, and so the first gate the first gate is what the first gate is a, is essentially a sphinx. And it can see your inner your true self. True self. So if you don't think that you're worthy to pass through the gate, it'll essentially kill you. Yes, which basically kills everybody. Fancy armor doesn't help. The sphinxes can see straight into your heart. 
Yeah, but it, which actually is going to happen to Atreyu, but Atreyu runs and jumps through it and is and right as the Escapes. thing blasts him. And, it and then he gets him. to the second one, which essentially shows him Bastion in a mirror, and they both have this, like, holy shit, freak out moment. Yeah, and Bastion uh, throws the book, but like, he's, he's a little bitch. Yeah, basically. And, and then this happens, and then they fly back to... Yeah, he gets to the Southern Oracle, and the Oracle tells him... That in order for the for the childlike empress to recover, she needs to be given a new name. And he's like, well, that's easy. I can give her a name. And, and they're like, like no, no, it has to be from a human. And they're yeah. like, where's a human outside of Fantasia? Yeah, like, outside the boundaries of Fantasia. like, well, fuck that. Yeah. Kind of a like a, a dick plot twist that they just wrote just because. Yeah, and, uh, and outside of the boundaries of Fantasia. So if you haven't figured it out yet, Fantasia is the world that exists inside the book. It's, well, actually, it's sort of no. The, the world of, of of human imagination. I was going to say the the argument is actually made that it is the world of human imagination that it embodies or is embodied by human imagination. Yeah. So it, because it, as we were talking about earlier, the evil creatures in the book jump into the nothing and they become lies. Yeah. So Atreyu decides to go back. They get lost, and then he has an encounter with. Um, Gamork. Gamork. But before he has the encounter with Gamork where the actor gets stabbed in the face and almost dies and is told that Fantasia has no boundaries because the world is human fantasy because Gamork says it. Yeah. What's so funny about that? Fantasia has no boundaries. That's not true. You're lying. Foolish boy, don't you know anything about Fantasia? It's the world of human fantasy. Every part, every creature of it is a piece of the dreams and hopes of mankind. Therefore, it has no boundaries. He has this conversation, very heartfelt with the Rockbiter, about not being able to save his friends. And it's this moment, and you and I were talking about this, where it sort of is this kind of heartfelt speech... Yeah. Sort of, and then he immediately says "good," the good strong yeah, hands it, line. It's, it's weird because it so sounds the, like it's being kind of lazily read. Yeah. So the rockbiter is the rockbiter is kids won't notice by yeah. the way at all. The rockbiter is talking about how he tried to save his friends, the 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 snail rider and the night hob, and he couldn't because he couldn't hold on to them. The nothing took them. And he's talking about these, they look like big, good, strong hands, don't they? And then he talks about how he lost his friends. And then within, it's supposed to be a very emotional scene. And he just goes from saying like, and they, the nothing took them. And then he says almost immediately, they look like big, good, strong hands, don't they? They look like big, good, strong hands, don't they? I always thought that's what they were. My little friends, the little man with his racing snail, the night hub, even the stupid 
bet. I couldn't hold on to them. The nothing pulled them right out of my hands. I failed. No, you didn't fail. I'm the one who failed. I was the one chosen to stop the nothing. But I lost the Auron. I can't find my luck dragon. So I won't be able to get beyond the boundaries of Fantasia. Listen. The nothing will be here any minute. I will just sit here and let it take me away too. They look like good, strong hands, don't they? Yeah, when I when I heard this, I was like, man, he's literally reading. This is probably a line from the book. And he didn't give like the emotional importance to that to that point, to that part where he was talking about how his friends just got taken from him, where he just goes back to saying like they look like big good strong hands don't they and it, it just well, it I think sounds there was, weird yeah i think there was supposed to be a, a pause where he contemplates on that like and a then, dramatic pause yeah and then the good strong hands is almost like him trying to convince himself or or it's it's more like he's saying like yes i lost my friends and these look like good strong hands but they aren't and i'm a failure yeah and he's being introspective about the fact that he feels like he failed his friends yeah, uh, and, and, it, and it's it should be if there was a good dramatic pause there, it would really help. Oh, it would have really helped. And and this at, at this point in the story, this is where the the two stories sort of co to start they, to mingle. They, they mesh, yeah, because at this point, uh, Fantasia is essentially destroyed except for the the ivory tower and the childlike empress and Falcor drops a tray off at the empress. Yeah, and they they. The Empress tells him, like, look, you, like, Atreyu says, like, I failed you. I, I couldn't get beyond the boundaries. And she said, no, you haven't failed. You brought my rescuer with you. And he's like, what are you talking about? Now, when back when they're on the island, by the way, did you notice that uh, the nothing is this all-powerful thing, unstoppable force, and it can suck up all the stuff? It can suck up brick walls, but not a tree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I thought that was funny. Yeah, but but anyways, I didn't mean to like kind of sidetrack. No, no, no. But so, the, so but the empress, the empress is in her palace, and the the nothing starts kind of crashing down and sucking up part of the building also. But yet they still are there. That that also that's why I mentioned that because yeah, it's 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 a weird, it's inconsistent. Yeah, it's a weird bit of it's a weird bit of physics. But so she's telling Atreyu like, look, you actually did it. You did your job. You brought the person who's going to save me. And it cut, keeps cutting back to Bastion reading the book. And he's like, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm not in the story. I'm not part of this story. Like, no, not you. And he was following along in the Swamp of Sadness. And he was following along at the Oracle. And then she, this is why. Ooh, I just got chills. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is the part that um, I sort of mentioned that I don't know if you noticed. Where she says that. And then she says that Bastion is already in the story. Okay. And that others we're following along with him on his story. Yeah. So holy shit, it's we like just a, got a fourth wall break of a fourth wall break. That's 16 so, walls. Yes it is. <laughs> so so first she's telling Atreyu that they are essentially fantasy 
and that Bastion or this human is the real world. And then she's talking about how we are the real world and Bastion is the story that we are following along with almost as a way to kind of tell the childhood audience that they are truly the authors of Fantasia. Yeah. So what ends up... What ends Which up, I thought was really cool. I never got that as a kid. Yeah. It's, I didn't get that till yesterday, two days ago, when I, when I watched this. There's definitely deeper stuff that goes on in this movie. So what ends up happening is the, the Childlike Empress needs a new name. And, and Bastion is the one that needs to give it to her. And throughout the movie, he does mention that, or at one point in the movie, he says, uh, it's a shame they don't ask me, you know, I have have a good, I have the perfect name. My mom's name was beautiful. Mm -hmm. In the book, her name is Moon Princess, I think. Not Moon Child? Or Moon Child? It's Moon Child. Moon Child? Yeah. But you can never actually tell what he shouts, and there's contra- controversy, controversy about what he shouts out. Yeah, but in the book, the so in the book, that's what he that's what he calls her, and and throughout this, even before that, he's like, no, this can't be re- this can't be me. They can't it can't be me that they're talking about it. This isn't real. This is a story. I'm not in this story. And eventually, after Atreyu actually gets killed, I think so. The nothing is attacking the the uh, the nothing is attacking. The, the castle, the, the ivory tower, and knocks like some... Bastion, some, yeah, please! Some stuff falls down and actually kills Atreyu. And so it's just Bastion and the childlike empress. And she's... In like a black room. Yeah, she's like talking to him back and forth. She's like, like, Bastion, please, you have to do something. You have to say... She actually says, say my name! And say my name, bitch! I know, right? And Bastion's like, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll say it. And he runs to the window for some reason. Yeah, now it cuts to him not being in Fantasia anymore or something? No, no, no. He was never in Fantasia. Oh, sorry. I got mixed up. You're right. She's talking to him through the story. So he runs to the window and he throws the windows open. And And he shouts out something. Yeah, he he throws the windows open. It's like a freaking thunder and lightning outside. Very, very frightening. And he screams out. Mamma mia. syllables in there that it's supposed to be moon child i mean it might be well just in the out. book it's supposed to be moon child yeah but it might but you can never tell in the movie because that's why like i a, said there's controversy yeah because there's like a crash of thunder right when he says it and it could just be the the acting skills which are t- honestly for me the acting skills of the kid that played bastion are freaking terrible he's awful he is kind of annoying he's awful and and it could just be the acting skills of 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 the kid because he like adds a syllable in there like he could have said moonchild but he's like moonchild and like wh- what 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 did he just say I I think they might have just had him say something like olive juice or something you know what I mean like the kind of thing that when you're on stage and you're supposed to be doing a whisper scene you'll say like. Rutabaga, rutabaga. Yeah, rutabaga, olive juice, rutabaga, olive juice. So it looks like you're saying something important, but yeah. you can't tell. And and I think that's what happened. 
Maybe. That's the only thing I can think of. But at one point, she, the room, it does kind of fade to black and it's just the two of them. Yeah, that's when, that's after he says her name because then he gets pulled into Fantasia. And she tells him, like, become part of that the, the world is basically up to him. Yeah. That's she, when she tells she him to him make a wish and to dream and that he can make Fantasia more beautiful than ever. Yeah, so he she gives him a grain of sand. It's the last thing that is left of Fantasia. But if he makes wishes, Fantasia will come, grow. Will grow yeah. and come back so he makes a wish and the end of the, it's the end of the movie it's the part that a lot of people remember well uh, that's when he goes really and then she kind of is like yeah and then my first wish and then it just cuts to him running on falcor and i was like yeah to be fair if i was bashing my first wish would be fucking ride goddamn falcor too yeah because Falcor is awesome. So then so then he uses Falcor to essentially accost his bullies. I mean, let's be real. Wouldn't that be your dream <laughs> yeah, too? Probably. Your dream would be to ride a goddamn Falcor. I'm a luck dragon. That's no. when Falcor asks him what his second wish is. And that's when they chase the bullies down into yeah. the, in, into the so dumpsters. So the first wish is him riding and like all, all of Fantasia is back. Mm-hmm. He sees Atreyu and Artax riding through the... Uh, Riding through the plains, he sees the rock biter and night hob and the snail rider, and he sees all the characters that died from the from the nothing, essentially all restored. All of Fantasia is back, and then that's when he goes into the real world and and, yeah. and psychologically destroys his his bullies. Well, so and then that's how the movie ends, and then the narrator comes on and. Bastion went on to have many more adventures. So, but that's a story for another time. And then the when this movie ends Turn en- around. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I my okay, so when this movie ended, I asked Eleanor, I was like, so what did you think? Did you like it? And she goes, Yeah. <laughs> this, that was cool. That was the best. Dad. She she loved this movie and she wanted she was like, Daddy, tomorrow can we watch it again? It's just like a couple days no. ago, like early in the week. I was like, no, you got school tomorrow. I got to go to work. Like, you can't watch Never Ending Story in the morning. She got mad. And I was like, who was your favorite? She goes, the puppy dragon. <laughs> and I was like, Falcor? And she goes, no. The puppy dragon. No, no, no. She goes, no, daddy. I don't like that name. <laughs> I go, what? She goes, no. His name is Fukuryu. <laughs> no. So, so what happened was, as I go... No, his name is Falcor. She goes, no, daddy. I don't like that name. I have a different name for him. <laughs> so she renamed the characters in the movie. So Falcor's name is Juice Cow. <laughs> what? And then Atreus' <laughs> name is Velcro. He needed some Velcro. His shirt kept opening. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, right? And then I asked her, so what was the princess's name? The Empress. And she goes, oh, I get to give her my own name, right? And I go, yeah. And she goes... Her name, Pumpkin Patch Slipper Belly. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and I started laughing. I was like, Pumpkin Patch Slipper Belly? I mean, kids just like come up with weird shit. And then uh, my wife goes, you know what I'd name him? Charles Entertainment Cheese. What? <laughs> okay, so so for those of you who don't know, Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, okay. His full name is Charles Entertainment Cheese. What the <laughs> And every time I think of Charles Entertainment Cheese, I not I can't not laugh. That's why I was sitting here laughing. Because <laughs> I had just read it in my notes. I started chuckling to myself. <laughs> uh, but needless to say, Eleanor loved this movie. Joy was ambivalent. She actually fell asleep at one but point. She, but to be fair, Joy had never seen the movie as a kid, right? Yeah, I think we were talking about this uh, earlier in the week. That... I I don't 
This you, has to be a movie. This is a movie yeah. where if you didn't watch it as a kid, yeah. it probably would not be as entertaining to you as an adult. Like it's fine as an adult, and the meta like fourth wall, fourth wall is cool. But I think as an adult, it's not going to be the same as a kid. For sure, show this to your kid. Or if you have nostalgic like goggles for this movie, go ahead because it's a it's a fun one. So so here's. But if you've never seen it, you you I mean experience can, it because you should, but. But don't go into it thinking that it's going to be this amazing movie because you're not going to feel the same way that most of the people that have seen this movie as kids. It's meant to be an experience for children. Yeah. That's what it's meant to be. So so here's what I was talking about a little bit earlier at the beginning of the podcast when I was talking about how I understood how the author felt about how his how his vision, how his story ended up this way. Ended up the way it was. So like we said, the actual story of The NeverEnding Story, the book, the book... The movie, the the never-ending story, the movie that we all just talked about, it ends halfway through the book. In the book, the halfway point is when Bastion gets pulled into Fantasia, or Fantastica as it's called in the book, well, and then starts but, making yeah. and then starts making wishes and restoring for restoring Fantasia. Yeah. So this I, I likened it that's when the second movie kind of picks up yeah the second which is movie, a slightly different story than the other half of the book but it's enough that it gives the feel yeah so the second half of the book is essentially bastion making wishes and restoring fantasia and sort of creating all these new characters by making wishes and the but new each world t- yeah but each time he makes a wish he forgets something about his previous life and he keeps making wishes to the point where the only two memories he has left are the memories of his parents and the memories of his own name. So, but I believe that the thing was is if he forgot his name, then he couldn't go home. Yeah, remember? that's the, he. He had to remember who he was, or he'd be stuck in Fantasia. So, at a certain point, he has to make a wish to do something where he forgets his parents. So all he can remember is his own name. And he has to get this water of life to be able to escape Fantasia with with all of his memories. So he ends up he ends up working with Atreyu because he betrays Atreyu at some point in the second part of the book, where he goes from being like a sort of an outside observer kind of hero in the first part of the book to a false hero in the second half because he loses he loses sight through his wishes of like who he is. And what he stands for because he keeps losing his memory. So he becomes sort of a false hero in the second half. Yeah. And then at the end of the book, he is essentially... How do I put this? So at the end of the book, he's left with the only knowledge that he has of his previous life is his name. And he's created, through all of his wishes, he's created all these new stories, new monsters, new adventures, new things that the people of Fantasia are going to do. So... In reality, what he's done is he's added to the mythos of, of Fantasia. Expanded on it. He's expanded the mythos. He's 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 done what the childlike empress wanted him to do. And that's what you talked about, where the childlike empress, she is sort of eternal, but only so only in so much as people The cycle continues. Yes. Only in so much as people will build on her story. Like what the childlike empress and what Fantasia represents, because the two are the same. The childlike empress and the and Fantasia are the same thing. They are they are human imagination. They are the fantastical stories that we tell each other. The, the, she's almost like the uh, the figurehead embodiment of that. She's the embodiment of like a myth. Yeah. So so 
the only way that she is re reinvigorated, rejuvenated is by adding to that myth, adding to those stories. Yeah. And so what happens is Bastion spends all of his wishes essentially creating a new world for for Fantasia. He creates this new world in Fantasia that that a new person. What essentially he's doing is he's writing a book. He's writing the new never-ending storybook. And once he's written everything that he can write, once he's made all of his wishes and created all the characters and all the situations and done all the adventures that he can't do, all he's left with is his name. And he uses, he uses the water of life in his name to get himself out of the book under, with, with the knowledge that Atreyu and all the people of Fantasia will complete his adventures for him. So he gets pulled out of the book. And then the book sort of disappears and goes away to be found by the next person who is going to like read the book and then get to the end when the stories end and then build new stories. And that's the whole point of the book being called The Never-Ending Story is that when you have these stories, you create new stories and then the book goes on to someone else and then they read your stories and they get to the end where they have to create their new stories. And it just like the cycle repeats itself over and over. So if that's the case, how did we get Never Ending Story 3 where the villain is Jack Black? Because, <laughs> because studio moguls are, are greedy and want to capitalize on existing franchises. And, and create things that are direct-to-video. Yeah. And, and so like... Given all that, I can understand because the whole point of the movie, and I likened it to the the movie I Am Legend, the new one with Will with uh, Will Smith. Yeah, that's what you're saying at, at lunch today. And and I likened it to that because the whole point of that movie, the whole point, if you've never seen Omega Man or read the original book I Am Legend or seen the the new one with Will Smith, so the whole point of that story is that for the entire length of the story, the entire length of the book and the movie. The, the lead character, the one played by Charlton Heston and played by Will Smith, that character thinks that he is the last, like, he is the hero of his story. And he is trying to save the world and fix these horrible monsters that have been created because of a plague, because of an of a illness that created these sort of like zombie vampire type right. monsters. And the whole point of it being called I Am Legend is... During the day, he goes out and he tries to solve the problem. He tries to fix the problem that he helped create because he's a doctor. And in while he's doing that, he he like hunts these monsters. He kills them. He does all that stuff. And what you find out is that the monsters, the zombies, the, the vampires, whatever, yeah. whatever they are, they have actually created their own society where they interact with each other in a very sort of normal sense. And to them, he's the monster. He's the guy that comes at night because they don't come out during the day. They sleep during the day. They come out at night. He's the guy that during during the time when they're sleeping, he hunts them. He kills them. He captures them and tests on them and tortures them. And he's trying to end their lives. So he has become the legend. That's the whole point of the story is that he is the legend that they tell. He is their boogeyman. So the whole idea is that uh, villainism is all a matter of perspective. But it's, what, it's, it's uh, moral relativism. But what, what happens in the book and sort of happens in the Omega Man movie, but doesn't happen in the Will Smith version of it. But unless you have the, the extended edition, is that he doesn't know that. So the whole point of the movie being called I Am Legend doesn't make any sense. 
Because at the end, what you find out is the the woman that he's been traveling with is actually one of the vampire zombie people who's been made up to look like a normal human. And the whole time she's been terrified of him because he's, she's essentially traveling around with the boogeyman. And he doesn't know because right, he, she right, looks right. like a human. And when he figures that out, he realizes like, holy shit, I'm the boogeyman to these people. Like... And he he like ends up dying and right he, uh, and so th- this movie uh, it, kind of has a little bit of that also because you don't understand just based on the movie you don't understand why it's called the never ending story you don't realize that the story gets built by a new child or a new reader and then gets redone every gets, single time yeah and then moves on to the next person and it gets redone and then gets moved on to the next person that's what makes it the never ending story and like as a kid I wondered why is it called the never ending story that doesn't make sense like the movies the movie yeah. ends it's only like an hour and a half long i remember always wondering that too and and it wasn't kept until wondering, we kept wondering why they didn't keep making sequels because it's a never ending story th- yeah and then then doing this podcast i was like oh that's why yeah all right cool so i i mean i think our final recommendation is this i i think we're sort of in agreement here that i think at the end of the day this movie is it does have some meta elements the special effects are the practical effects are actually really I good I love the practical effects I love any movie like there's some there's some really cheesy like green screen effects but but besides what, that the, whatever the practical effects the puppets the the animatronics they're great yes and and I believe Falcor took 21 people to operate or something yeah. ridiculous he's, and so if he's you look a big at puppet so special effects are good the music is super epic uh, the story is also good. Aside from Bastion, the acting is great. True. And the the film, if you've seen it before, will for sure be a great nostalgic like relive. It, it will still hold up for your goggles. Absol- absolutely. One of, this is a movie where... But I would say, and I would say for kids, it's also fine. It's great for kids. I would say if you have never seen it, maybe level set. Oh, yeah. Level set the shit out of yourself, actually. <laughs> Because it's not going to be what people hype it up to be. At least to you. At least to you. So my wife had never seen Star Wars (laughs) until college. And so when she went to go see it, uh, or when she rented it, basically, and borrowed it from somebody, for her, Star Wars was not what people had said it was. Oh, this is interesting, I guess. She's like, okay, I guess. Like, she didn't get it, and she felt super let down because she didn't grow up living the story of... Anakin and Luke and so this may to a lesser extent be kind of like that for those of you who have not seen this movie I would still recommend it because oh yeah it for sure will satisfy some amount of nostalgic something yeah. it fits into kind of the same category as as some of the other movies of its time yeah. like David Bowie's little film Labyrinth Labyrinth yeah, uh, it, or, or you know some of the other movies like that, it, it kind of fits into that and realm. I, but but I would say just level set. And I, I will say that like for me, and this is this is me just like geeking out about the movie. When I was watching it, I so got I, I so turned back into that kid that was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I was doing it like in my head because I did. Too. I was watching it with Kathy, and I didn't want to <laughs> embarrass wanna, yourself. Yeah, so I was just like. 
This is one of Kathy's favorite movies too, so oh, I'm pretty yeah. sure she would have done that also. So yeah. you wouldn't have been alone. But what I'm saying is this movie is, and this happens to me all the time, is when I watch a movie that I haven't seen in a long time, and, and the first time that I watched it, I was like a certain age. Like, I go back to that age. We talked I, about that, I think, for DuckTales yeah, too. I go back to that and age. And Turtles. So it, it so made me feel like I was a little kid again. I was just like, you know, the, the world we live in is is just... Shitty. Yeah. For the most part, being adult is, being an adult is not that great. A lot of times, you know, you're, yeah, there's it, great stuff, but there's, there's great stuff, but then there's work and stress and money and bills and all kinds of crap you got to worry about. And it's just so nice to watch a movie where to take it, an hour it, and it, but it takes you back to that yeah. time when you were just like the like everything in the world is great. I have no worries. I'm just like it made you. It made me feel like a kid again with like no worries in the world, and it, that's just like an awesome feeling. I think that's one of the benefits of these type of movies is it it takes you back to that time, especially if it's a movie. I mean, it sort of has to be a movie that you've that you watched when you were a little kid. It takes you back to that time when you were in that mindset and it just makes you feel better. It takes you back to that time where you didn't have to worry about all the things that you have to worry about. And as an adult now, I think that's kind of ultimately why you and I decided to do this subject matter as our podcast. It's sort of the point of nostalgia, right? Yeah. We're, we're now, by the time that this episode airs, the podcast will have, will be like one episode away from our first episode, which is nuts to think about, you know? Yeah. And, and I think when you and I were first planning this show out and talking about what would we do? And you remember, we kind of waffled around a little bit on what we we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of why we settled on this was in some ways that this subject matter is that way for us. Yeah. That it allows us to, you know, I like my job. I love my kid. And I love my wife. I'm, I actually don't mind the fact that my money goes to my mortgage and all that stuff. It's like, you know, adulting sometimes sucks, but like there's advantages to adulting. Mm-hmm. And, at the same time, this show is like kind of a nice little escape for us. You know, whether whether we had people listening or not, it's great that we've got a lot of you guys out there who listen, but I think just for us, we would do it whether you guys were listening or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we would talk about this regardless. And this show, I, or this movie, I think, is a good example of why we do this show. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I think I think you know. Well, let's just end it there. We'll, yeah. I think that'll do it this week. Uh, I think we're gonna maybe have a listener suggestion in the next week or two. Yeah. We've got a, actually we've got a couple, several. So we'll, we'll maybe kind of slowly work through some of those. Yeah. So if you want to find us and talk to us on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at RemasteredCast. That is at RemasteredCast. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Childhood Remastered. Please rate us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The rating really helps us out. Yeah, and we'd also like to thank John Howarth for the use of our intro music, Nascent. You can find links to his SoundCloud on our website, childhoodremastered.com. And until next time, this is Sean. And Chris. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time. Hey,